They were all people who were in their 40s and 50s who decided to make career transitions. And a lot of people will tell me, oh, I'm too old. I've had 25-year-olds tell me they're too old yeah. to make career transitions. <laughs> and I think to myself, you're never too old. A lot of people think about switching careers or making changes, but don't know where to begin. That's where a career counselor can help. Hi, I'm Diana Brunell O'Leary, and welcome to another episode of Job Talk Weekly. Today, we talk with Serena Santillanes, founder and president of Career Journeys, where she's been a career counselor for more than 20 years. We'll learn what a career counselor does and pick up a few quick tips for your job search. Don't forget, we want to hear from you. Tell us what topics you want to hear. Send us an email to info at jobtalkweekly.com, and we promise not to spam you with junk mail. Let's get started. Serena, welcome to Job Talk Weekly. Thank you, Diana. I'm happy to be here. We hear a lot about coaches, whether that be career coaches, executive coaching. Tell us about a career counselor. What does a career counselor do? What you might really see a career counselor for is to help you with everything from career decision-making at any age or stage, um, but you could also see them for job search support, work adjustment issues, managing different workplace um, issues, et cetera. And career counseling can get into some deeper issues around uh, perhaps what's getting you stuck. Um, perhaps that means going back and looking into um, childhood. It could be looking into patterns of thought. It could be looking into um, some psychological issues that are going on for folks. It has a, a lot of varying depth to it, but career counseling could also be coaching someone on job search support. So a lot of times people will think counseling is only sort of taking that look backward when it also could involve looking forward and doing um, um job search support as much as it is uh, those deeper career-related issues. So that's just a little bit about how I would describe it from a high-level perspective. Yeah, and tell us about the different professions that you've seen. What types of professionals are you working with? I've seen just about any profession. And I, I mean, I've worked with folks who have been CEOs or um, C, uh, C-suite level professionals in corporations. I've worked with folks in the film industry. I've worked with folks in nonprofit. There isn't an industry that I don't help folks with because career issues are career issues yeah. in terms of helping people take that deeper dive into career decision making. And it doesn't matter necessarily what industry they come from. If I'm helping someone with career decision making. Um, so I do want to say that I've I've worked with the gamut of different backgrounds and uh, industries, and that certainly um, the kind of training that career counselors receive can help them with with anyone that walks in the door. Well, it does sound like it is a really deep dive. So tell us what you expect from the client. You know, what is the client going to do when he or, he or she signs up? The first expectation when a client signs up is that they're motivated to make some sort of change in their life. Usually people are coming to career counseling for a few different reasons. They either want, and I, I kind of think of them in a few different categories. One is career decision-making. 
it could be work adjustment. I, I need to figure out how to be more successful in my uh, work day. I need to figure out how to stand out more. I need to be on a path for leadership development. So it could be some sort of change as it relates to um, work adjustment. Or it could be I want to shift and make a, um, a career change or I want to do a job search. So usually someone's coming in because they need to receive some sort of um, um, support and make some sort of change in their life. So I think the first criteria is that I have when I work with someone is that are they motivated and ready for that kind of a step, yeah. no matter what it is. Um, the other criteria is that we can clarify what the goal is of our work together. And if someone is motivated and they and we're able to work through the goal of what the work is, then they're ready for career counseling. Yeah, and I think that's really important what you said too about moving up in their own careers. I think a lot of people think that career coaching or career counseling is about changing and transitioning careers, which it might be, but sometimes it is about just leveling up within your own field. Absolutely. I think that if you were to put it into some categories, there's definitely career decision making, but then another category could be job search. Another category, again, could be um leveling up or, or figuring out how to be more successful in place. Yeah. So when I'm working with a client, I am initially trying to figure out, okay, what is it that we're going to really be focusing on in our work here together? And let's get clear on that and make sure that we're in the right space. Oh, so there's, there sounds like there's an exploration process in the very beginning for you and your client until you figure out really what's going to happen. That usually occurs within an initial intake. Okay. The first session in any kind of career counseling appointment is an initial intake where we use it as an opportunity to understand about their background, um, also to set goals for our work. The benefits, I'll say, from having worked with so many clients is that usually pretty quickly I can tell when discussing something with a client where it's going to go and what their need is. Mm -hmm. And so that's, and and for most of us that work in private practice, we use that initial session to set goals. And it, now what's important is those goals could shift over time. I've had clients who I've worked with where we started with one goal and then we realized, oh, wait, hold on. There's some additional goals within that that we found later down the road, but the first session should always be about goal setting and understanding the client issues and making an agreement together for how you're going to work with the client because it's a partnership. They put in as much work as we put in into the session. And I always say to clients, you have to be willing to work as hard as I am because it's your life and your career. And when someone's willing to really step in and step up and be part of the process, then that's how you know they're ready. So what does that timeline look like? How much time are you spending together on a week? And, you know, how long have you spent with clients? Is it months? Is it nine months? Tell us a little bit about the different ranges of time frames here. I think it depends on what the career issue is. If I think about just sort of organizing the pockets of different kinds of work that people could do, a career decision-making process, I always like to share with folks could take anywhere from six to eight sessions, which is about an hour per session, sometimes less, sometimes more. Let's say I'm doing some executive coaching work with a client and I'm helping them with uh, creating uh, a brand in the workplace and helping them communicate their brand in the workplace. That could be a three month engagement. Mm -hmm. So I think it depends on what the issue is. Job search could take, uh, 
could have an initial process of five sessions to help them get all their job search materials and marketing materials ready. But then someone may decide, I want to do check-ins with you and be accountable, do like an accountability coaching process. And that could take three months, six months, nine months. So I do think that it depends on what the client need is. Uh, and the engagement. And so that's part of that first intake process is really exploring what's the work we're going to be doing here and figuring that out. I have somebody I'm working with right now who signed up for us to spend six sessions together, helping her go from, she's a project manager and she really wants to be seen as a thought partner. And we realized that some of this is exploring some of her strengths and what she's showcasing at work. And we realized she's showcasing out of worker bee habits versus thought partner habits. Ah. So we're doing this initial six session work to help her figure this out. We're using emotional intelligence. We're using personality development. We're using a lot of things and we've really come to some clarity about what the issues are. And I've just worked with her on a professional development plan, but she may decide to work with me for another six sessions to help her carry out a job search if she's going to decide to move companies. But that's something that we can figure out along the way. So there might be a few engagements and a few timelines depending on the work as the work evolves. But it's always something that's agreed upon between the client and myself. It's never foisted upon them. It's always a a mutual agreement and a mutual decision. Well, and it also sounds very personal. Every package, every agreement, every contract that you have with a client is based on their needs at that time. And then it sounds like you update it as you go along or as you're about to wrap up. I do feel like career counseling or coaching is never cookie cutter. It's always based on the client issues. And even though I've seen thousands of clients over the years, no client is the same and no process is the same, which is what keeps this work so interesting. So well, tell us that's a really good point. Tell us how you came to be a career counselor. Initially, out of college, my favorite course in college, interestingly enough, was organizational development and helping organizations. Um, However, at at the time when I was 21 years old, I didn't really know what to do with that. I had a bad career counseling experience in college. I took a career assessment. I'm sort of that typical story that a lot of people will tell me, hey, I took this career counseling assessment when I was younger, and the counselor told me I should be a XYZ. And I think for young people, it's very normal to want someone to sit across from you and give you the magic answer. And so somebody gave me that same experience and said, oh, I took a a strong interest inventory, which is an interest assessment. And somebody sat across from me my junior year of college, or maybe it was even my sophomore year, and said, you should be a communications major. And I said, (laughs) that sounds wonderful. I have found it. So I signed up. I was a communications major. And ended up having a seven-year career in public relations and communications as a result. However, it wasn't a very fulfilling career path. And I knew it pretty quickly. And had the person who had been working with me really been a good career counselor, they would have done some exploration with me. And what I realized is that I can't believe as an undergrad, I never took a psychology class. I never yeah. explored helping people. And it was so it was so there and obvious for me at that younger age. And so one of the things I often do is talk to parents about how to help their young people really be good consumers in their career counseling and make sure they're getting the right support. But But with that being said, I ended up having a career path and ended up realizing within that career path, I was pretty miserable. And the good news about that for me was that 
going through an actual experience of not liking my job and not liking my occupation and needing to make a shift helped me to understand what that felt like when I was working with my clients. And so one day, so I kept searching for what's the right path. I was doing all kinds of my own self-help. Ironically, what I found in my own occupation of communications is that I was always the person helping people find communications jobs. And I was always the person who was kind of impromptu doing career coaching with people. And then one day, interestingly enough, back in the early 90s, I read an article in the LA Times about career counselors, and I didn't even know the occupation existed. Did I, I also didn't know that one of the top graduate programs is in our local area. So I, I felt like this lightning bolt went, wow, I need to go explore this. And I went back to graduate school and have never looked back. It's, it's, it definitely has been a good fit. And in many ways, the path I took to get there, even though it was not a straight line, I'm delighted with because it's helped really inform me as a counselor. Well, and that's so much of what you bring to your clients then, that first-hand knowledge of what it's like to be in a job that's not a good fit and in that place where you're at a crossroads like okay well at least I know what I don't want to do and that's information that's a good first step for a lot of us but then where do you go so you've been through it yourself so tell us about a success story that really gives us a sense of the impact that a career counselor can have my focus my passion and my thesis in graduate school was on the midlife career transition of folks. And so I say this because I've, one of my specialties has been working with an adult population. So there are actually three adults that I recall with such clarity. I feel like I saw them yesterday and they were all people who were in their forties and fifties who decided to make career transitions. And a lot of people will tell me, Oh, I'm too old. I've had 25-year-olds tell me they're too old to make career transitions. (laughs) And I think to myself, you're never too old. And that's one of the beauties, actually, of the United States and our education system is that we can reinvent ourselves, whereas in other parts of the world, it is very difficult to do that. And so there was, you know, just a really quick snapshot. I had a tech CFO Mm -hmm. who came in and through an exploration process where we did some really deep digging into his interest patterns, his values, his personality, who he is, what his dreams and hopes had always been. He actually became a firefighter in San Diego. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. And From a CFO the, to a firefighter. Yep. And that was in his 40s. And a lot of people thought, well, I thought you can't become a firefighter. <laughs> yeah. And in some in some, some cities, there is no age limit. This oh. man was in better shape than most 20-year-olds. Okay. I, I still he he was he was sort of my poster child for amazing career development because every time he got comfortable in a job and felt like he was happy there he'd say Serena it's time for me to do career development so that I don't ever get lackadaisical about my work or I ever don't you know get lazy about it and then not like it anymore so he was just awesome I had a um, 50 something year old senior leader at a bank who came in and just said, I am not happy. I just, this is not what I want to do. So he actually sold everything, picked up from LA and went back to graduate school in New York at Parsons School of Design and became became an antique set decorator for film. (laughs) These people are my heroes. They're amazing. And then the third person that really stuck out to me was an HR executive who said to me, Serena, my passion my passion has been to 
I, I've played with people's hair my whole life. I love doing my sister's hair. I'd have dolls. I'd do their hair. She ended up giving up her career and becoming a hairdresser and opened up her own salon. And to finance it, she was a 911 operator so she could have a flexible work schedule and go to beauty school. I mean, these are people who said, you know what? I am committed to doing what it takes to make my life happy and ended up making these incredible transitions. And so I've had the good fortune of being part of their process and, and being a guide with them along the way. But those stories just I've always thought about. So Well, I would love to see that. I think you need to do a before and after. You know, the CFO to the firefighter and then the HR exec and then in her beauty salon. Those are some pretty big transitions. But I think the CFO probably represents the most common example we see. It sounds like he kept coming back to you. And in the beginning, it was about how do we make our finance jobs better or how do I get into a better finance job? But it was much deeper. And it sounds like yes. that's what we had to do with him is that you had to sit down with him and really get to the root of the matter. Because if you keep switching jobs every two years and if you find yourself miserable time and time again, then you've got to look a little deeper. Absolutely. That's a really great point. I'm so glad you brought that up, Diana, because he was coming to me at the beginning for figuring out his role as a CFO. Um, he kept trying to go back and do training in his field. He was trying to, you know, make himself better in his field and then just wasn't happy. So we really had to dig deeper and say, what what is going on here? Let's really talk this through. And so career counselors often use career assessment. They'll use the Myers-Briggs, yeah. the strong interest inventory. And I teach in, in counseling graduate programs, how to use those assessments. And what I always tell my grad students and, and what I do as a professional is that the assessment isn't the magic. The magic is the counseling work with the client. And so when I think of how these clients get to these places, you know, sometimes there'll be something that triggers for them in one of these assessments that brings up a whole conversation that leads to a much deeper look back into what they've always loved. And it has nothing to do with just reading the paper and looking at, okay, here's what your results say. It's the um, art of good counseling with these tools that makes for an incredible process. So I have to say for all of these folks, they went, they were really ready to do a deep dive and personal excavation into what is it that I really love and to be honest with that. And that's what led to these transitions. And it sounds like that's where they need to be ready for that. They need to be open. And yeah. sometimes it takes a while to get there. And you yeah. do an extraordinary deep dive, like you say, with a lot of these people. And that's why the counseling part, I think, is important here. That's part of your job is that you are in this dialogue with people. And Tell me, though, are there times where it gets to a point where they need a whole nother level of support? Like personally, is it something yeah, that needs yeah. to be handed off to a different type of professional? When I think of passing it off to another professional, it's absolutely one of the parts that's critical to our training. And what I mean by that is that career counseling is a, subs is a specialty, just like marriage family therapy is a specialty and college counseling is a specialty. These are all separate specialties. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I know I train my graduate students on is how to recognize when this is out of our specialty area yeah. and Therefore, we need to be able to refer. Now, that doesn't mean that a client couldn't be seeing a counselor, a career counselor and a therapist mm, at mm -hmm, the same time. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely possible. 
But sometimes, so, so one of the triggers that I'll often tell people to pay attention to is that if their psychological issues are getting in the way of them being able to move forward in the career development process, then you know that there's something that you need to look at and make a referral. What's interesting within our field and in our profession is in the, in the last handful of years, career counselors have been able to become licensed in our work. And so there are some of us out there, and I'm one of those folks that's also a licensed professional clinical counselor. So there are some clinical issues that I can address with clients. For example, um, if someone has a particular diagnosis that I'm familiar with, I can talk about how that diagnosis could impact them in their career development and maybe some things that they need to think about. But for the most part, I'm not going to help them fix that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So the most I could do is touch on it and talk about what it could do to impact their career. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to help address the diagnosis solely. And again, that would be a therapist. But I have to tell you, I am referred clients from therapists all the time. There are waivers that will sign off so that I can talk to the therapist and we can have discussions and be a support team. And for some people, that's that's been really beneficial to have a team of people helping them, not just therapeutically, but also from a career perspective. Yeah. And I know the prices probably vary from market to market, but can you give us a sense of the payment structure? What would someone expect when they sign up with a career counselor? How does the payment work? I'm going to give you some some rate ranges so that if a listener is listening right now and wants to know what should I expect, I think the first thing you want to pay attention to is what's the training and background of the counselor or coach, because sometimes newer professionals will charge a lesser rate as they're getting started in a practice. So I have seen new professionals charge anywhere from 100 to 125 at the beginning stages of a practice. Per session. Per session, yes. And usually sessions sessions can be typically 50 or 60 minutes. You can find though counselors charging 200, 300, 400. You can see them getting up into executive coach level of 500 or more. So it really does vary, but you're going to look at experience of the person you're working with, what kind of work they're doing with you, and really make your best guesstimate and choice based on what background works best for you. But you'll find the, the varying ranges, I would say of 100 to 500 or more, depending on the situation. Health insurance does not reimburse for career counseling or coaching Mm, because mm -hmm. we don't offer a diagnosis. We don't diagnose. So even though I'm licensed, someone cannot use my work with them and write it off as part of health reimbursement. However, some companies do pay for career counseling and career coaching. And some EAP, which is an employee assistance program, I'm part of The state of California has me on their EAP roster because of my certifications. And so employees can get six sessions with me for free and their company pays for it. So the third thing I want to say, though, is that also talk to your accountant because people can write it off as professional development. So I... I say that because the fees vary and there are alternate ways that people do look to pay for it. You and I are speaking during the summer of 2020, which is a job market unlike any other. What have you been hearing from clients over these past few months? The pandemic is doing something very similar to what I saw happen in 2008, 2009 during the recession, Mm. which is it's making people reflect and think about what is it that I want to do in my life. Yeah. This is a time when I could really rethink about that. So there's 
kind of three areas that I've seen people really wanting help with. The first one has been, look, I've got the time right now. I'm at home a lot. How do I grow in place and stand out in my job? Because as people are getting laid off, I want to really stand out. I have found in any kind of downturn economically, and obviously one's occurring right now in the pandemic, that usually the people that stand out are not the ones that get let go of first. And so I've had a lot of clients saying, how can I stand out in the workplace? What can I do? So that's been one issue. I've had a lot of people say, you know, this has given me a, a opportunity to really pause and think about my life and my health and my family. And I want to do something different. It's time to make a transition. Right. Can I do that? Can I do that right now? And then I think the third piece has been the clients that I've seen who are absolutely not stopping their job searches, but just wondering what can I do to really stand out in the job search market, because now we've gone from a very low unemployment rate right. to a much higher one. Right. So those are those are sort of the three things that I'm seeing a lot of, but that's what I saw a lot of in 2008, 2009. So it's interesting to watch that same cycle come back up again. So what are some parting thoughts about how people can stand out? I know everyone's situation is different, but if there were one or two things that you could leave us with, Serena, what would that be? I think that a lot of clients and folks I talk to think that putting their resume up on Indeed for a job posting and then sitting and waiting <laughs> is exactly what you should do. And why am I not hearing back? Right. And I often tell clients that you need to be doing five or six additional things when you put that, you know, that resume on the Indeed job posting and you need to make sure you're especially standing out right now. And so just as a as a quick little a little tip, I'll tell people when you're applying for a job, the first thing I want you to do is to make sure that um, number one, don't just apply for it on Indeed. Go to LinkedIn, and I know a lot of people hear about LinkedIn, but it really is the number one source for job search. Right. A lot of recruiters are there, hiring managers are there. Make sure you search for jobs through LinkedIn. I would go follow the company on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I had somebody just do this recently where they were looking for a job with a particular company. They found a posting. Then I said, well, good, go follow that company on Twitter. Lo and behold, that company was hosting a really big panel event. They could go be part of this panel event in the audience and talk to people. They would have never known that had they just put their resume on LinkedIn. So they need to be really active with knowing what's going on with the company connecting and seeing if you can find alumni, going on LinkedIn and seeing if you can directly connect with HR or recruiting types in that company and make a personal connection there. So I know there's there's many more things you could do, but stepping it up with three or four additional deep dives into learning about the job and about the company is going to make you stand out and get more movement than you just um, applying to the job. Applying to the job is step one, but doing informational interviews and talking to people and really digging deep, the people who are doing that are the ones that are getting um, hired right now. You're so right. And that is terrific advice for everyone. Serena, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was fun. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Diana. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Job Talk Weekly. Get your questions answered by visiting our website. That's jobtalkweekly.com. And we'd love it if you would please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
You can find Job Talk Weekly on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diana Brunello-Leary. See you next time.